Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science and what an amazing week for science this is. Uh, we have had what I think the first powered flight of a human-born device on another planet. Um, first that we know of in this solar system, but you know, that's a pretty big achievement. It's huge. You think? Yeah. That was the NASA's Ingenuity helicopter, which flew on Mars. A um, kind of a remote-controlled drone, except that the time it takes for the signals to get there, it basically has to run by itself. So there's a lot of technological achievement there. It's pretty impressive. Very yeah. impressive. Yes. But anyway, um, enough like space marveling magic. Stu, what have you got for us in terms of space marveling magic? Well, in terms of space marveling magic, um, I've got a bit of a story about uh, space travel and space exploration but it is to do with things that are close to home so um you know nasa is still sending missions to mars but a lot of people are launching stuff into space uh at the moment and and that is increasing what that means is that there's a lot more stuff in space uh and an increasing amount of stuff in space which um brings us to the kessler syndrome do you know what the Kessler syndrome is? Is this some sort of runaway nightmare scenario? Basically, um, a guy in the 70s said that even if we stopped launching stuff back then, the amount of space debris would increase because things would keep running into each other and breaking into smaller and smaller pieces. So the amount of pieces of debris would keep increasing regardless. Uh, and pretty much that's what's happening. And... Um, for a number of reasons, it's not getting better. So I'm going to talk a little bit about why that's happening and if there's anything we can do about it, really. Right. Um, are these new satellites being launched by anyone we may have heard of? Uh, there's there's a few people who are behind the launches of satellites. One is, is a very little-known uh, billionaire who doesn't like flashy, flamboyant projects. <laughs> a, guy called, a guy called Elon Musk. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, oh, name vaguely familiar, yeah. Yeah. So the he's... name, interesting, interesting yeah. name. Yeah. yeah. Look, um, I think as we talk about it, it'd be great, you know, it's fine for him to have, like, a global satellite network, as long as he's not trying to do, I don't know, control people's thoughts with such a thing like that. I mean, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, you'd need to. Yeah, you'd need to. Uh, you need to implant something in everyone's head if yeah. you were going to do something that's, like that. That's so. absolutely <laughs> insane. Yeah. Anyway, Claire, what have you got for us today? <laughs> well, actually, uh, that name did ring a bell. Elon Musk. Um, he is up to um, yeah, exactly what you were describing. Elon Musk has. Um, he's the neurotechnology arm of his empire, um, also called Neuralink. Um, has just announced that they have created a brain-machine interface with a monkey where a monkey um, has something embedded in its brain, has a, um, has a neural device uh, embedded in its brain and can play 
a game with just thinking, just thinking about it can actually play it. So, yeah, I mean, it's a big week on Lost in Science, uh, looking at um, supervillain slash world's richest man, Elon Musk, and the um, technological the technological advances that he is making at the moment. Wow. Um, a chilling future, sorry, a chilling present for us all. <laughs> uh, well, on with the show. <laughs> So, Chris, Stu, have you ever felt a little lazy on the couch? Maybe the remote controls over the other side of the room. You yeah. know, you like it's 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 hard to get the energy to get up and get it. You're like, oh, just wish I could just. Change I wish I the had channel. a remote control for my remote control. That's what yeah. I think. I've I've tried using the force many times, but it does not work. <laughs> I just wish I could change the channel without having to get up. Yeah, or maybe, that'd be great. It would be great, wouldn't it? Or maybe you've been typing all day and you just wish there was a way that you could think and the words would appear on screen. And, you know, maybe, you know, this this is especially relevant to us as we um, write stories for Lost in Science and present stories every single week. Sometimes you just want to be able to, you know, think about it, but you, oh, the keys and, oh, oh you got to press the keys. It's, it's a little bit bothersome. Hey, it beats it beats chiseling your thoughts into stone tablets, but we've come a long way. We have come a long way. We have come a long way. I am being a little bit tongue in cheek, but anyway, um, uh, I realise that you know, changing or um, changing your thoughts um, or manipulating things with your thoughts. It sounds like some sort of you know Harry Potter magic, uh, but in the last week the world has got a little bit closer to being able to figure out how this can be done. And um, this is this is all sort of, you know, a conversation that, that has started because a video has been released of a nine-year-old macaque, a monkey, named Pager, uh, successfully playing a game of Pong, everyone's favourite 80s game, with its mind. Yes. Wow. So that's right. Yeah. Yep. So a monkey's playing Pong and, you know, Pong's that game where there's two paddles and there's a little ball going between them. Uh, and when the monkey thinks about where the Pong paddle should go, the paddle moves there. So the monkey's not moving any joystick. The monkey's not making any other making any other sort of movements. It's just thinking where its paddle should go and, and um, the paddle is moving there. Now, did, yes. uh, I'm, in, I'm impressed that a monkey can play Pong in the first place. Um, <laughs> you know, did they, did they have to teach this monkey how to play Pong or did they train it directly to play Pong with its mind first without it knowing how to play Pong in the first place? I will, I will definitely go into that. They, they had to train it how to play Pong first and, like, um, like I guess all monkeys, it, it enjoys bananas. And so the way it was trained was via banana smoothie. 
So that's and using a joystick. So it started with a joystick and a banana smoothie, and then it gradually um, it got it got to the point where it's just the banana smoothie in the mind. You know, you know, twenty years ago, teaching a monkey to play pong would have been the science story. Now, now <laughs> true, we've gone, true. we've we've stepped up the game here. Yes, it, it 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 is true, and and I'm sure many people have seen the video. It's been making waves, getting all sorts of attention, and um, like I said in the intro, that's a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's it it's been developed by one of Elon Musk's neurotechnology companies, Neuralink, and this is their latest announcement of their studies into brain machine interface in action. Now, I should say that a similar experiment has actually been done before. And and interestingly, it was done in 2002. So a paper was published. It was called Instant Neural Control of a Movement Signal. And um, the researchers who were successful in, well, the researchers were successful in getting a monkey to move a cursor around a screen in this paper. So not dissimilar to what Elon Musk has um, put forward, but this research seems to be causing a lot more buzz. And um, one of the reasons may be because um, because there's a there's a completely wireless connection. So it was an it, it's an implanted device into the brain of the monkey without any wires, and it just um, it 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 connects with um, with like an iPhone type thing. Um, but I think, uh, to be honest, there's also you know this marketing force and of Elon Musk and everything that he represents and Neuralink behind this this um announcement which of course is just getting everyone extremely excited well it's also it's like it's one thing to have a study showing that this is possible that it can be done that you know the concept works as another thing to be saying oh we're doing this as a step towards a technology we're going to sell which i believe is what's happening here with Neuralink, isn't it yeah yeah, absolutely um now to go back to um Stu, your question about how this monkey mind pong came about so firstly they inserted this neural link into the into the brain of page of the monkey so um this this you know engineered device it's a bit bigger than a thumbnail um and it sort of looks like one of those sort of like circular batteries that you get that goes into a watch and those sorts of things. Um, and it has these micron scale threads that are, that are inserted into areas of the brain that control movement. Now each thread contains many electrodes, um, and, um, each thread connects them, connects to this sort of like implant in the middle. So that, that sort of battery sized, um, implant is called the link. So once it was inserted, uh, Page of the Monkey was first shown how to play Pong. And it was, like I said, it was in this conventional way of using a joystick. Um, and when Page of the Monkey made, a, you know, the right move, he'd get some banana smoothie. And as he played, the Neuralink implant recorded the patterns of electrical activity in, um, that was happening in his brain. So this identified which neurons controlled which movements. So once the computer had enough signals of which neurons fired when he went up, so it was like, okay, he's going up, um, neurons are firing at that point, and then, um, you know, which ones were firing when Pager wanted to go across, um, 
and say, okay, that those neurons are firing then. Um, this data was then decoded um, so much so that the joystick could then be completely disconnected from the device. So using only the implant in, in you know, the monkey's brain and being able to decode that information um, gave you the intended movement and you can see that in real time you could you can you don't have to have you know it doesn't have to use its hands anymore um page of the monkey is playing the game using only only its mind mind control (laughs) It's, it's it's every gamer's dream to be able to just think and play a game without having to actually do anything you know it's it's quite amazing it is it, it it's pretty incredible now, according to Neuralink, the goal, the goal of uh, this technology, as you say, Chris, it, it, it has a very specific goal and a very specific marketing outcome is to help a person with paralysis or brain injury uh, to use a computer or phone uh, with their brain activity alone, uh, giving people incredibly, the incredibly liberating feeling of being able to do things by themselves, which um, would be amazing. And... Now, going back to, I guess, how the monkey pager was sort of trained to be able to identify, you know, what movement neurons were sort of firing in its in its brain, um, paralyzed people wouldn't be able to use a joystick necessarily to be able to identify where the movement areas are in the brain. So instead, the researchers claim obviously they haven't done this yet but their their thinking is that they're going to be able to calibrate a neural link by imagining a joystick so that's sort of a bit of a jump to make i guess but that's that's where they're sort of going with this again though this is not um entirely novel technology like there are say for instance mind controlled wheelchairs out there that mm. use the same kind of based on the technology that was the experiments were done in 2002 there are these devices out there already that are giving this capability. So it is like, I guess, like you said, it is just the, the marketing kind of aura of Elon Musk. That's, that's yeah. a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, a lot of the technology and where um, cochlear implants are up to now in terms of, um, you know, transmitting information um, into the brain and neural, neural information into the brain um, is is quite quite similar and can be sort of um, compared, even though there might not be any sort of like uh, uh, in, embedding a neural link necessarily within the brain. Um, but you know, there's there's a lot of excitement. Uh, there's a lot of talk about other applications for this technology, uh, potentially being able to control prosthetic limbs uh, to a greater extent, making them feel much more real and able to send information back and forth from the limb. Neuralink is making pretty bold claims about ability to con- to treat depression, addiction, blindness, deafness. Um, and, you know, then there's applications beyond therapeutic around, you know, maybe things that I was mentioning at the start, an easy way to interact with computers, being able to send messages at the speed of thought rather than the speed of fingers, um, or being able to like neurally connect with other people, which sort of boggles my mind as well but of course before we get ahead of ourselves in this world of speculation on how you know we will be able to mind meld with one another um in the not too distant future let's remember this is a 
monkey and it is a game of Pong. And like you say, a lot of this technology is not necessarily new. So while it is impressive um, and that monkey obviously loves a game of Pong, um, it's still a ways away from, you know, representing the incredible complexity of human interaction. Science, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Lost in Science, our ongoing mission to explain strange new words, to seek out new science and new explanations, to boldly go where no radio has gone before. from Claire's story, Elon Musk has some relevance to my story this week as well, but he's not alone in this particular endeavour as he's not alone in the Neuralink uh, project either. But this involves outer space as opposed to the inner space of the Neuralink technology. Now, apparently, astronomers are getting a bit tired of calls about unusual strings of lights in the night sky not only in Australia, but around the world. And photographers are also getting annoyed about these new bright spots. Basically, they know what they are. Uh, These strings of lights, which are visible over much of the east coast of Australia, are part of an Elon Musk project called Starlink, which is aiming to provide high-speed internet to remote areas without ground-level infrastructure. So no, you know, phone towers. This is all direct Mm. to the satellite. Um, and Starlink is a friendlier name than Skynet. Well, <laughs> it is. It is conjures up far less uh, worrying um, uh, imagery. So the whole project consists of more than twelve hundred individual satellites orbiting the planet already, and there's more on the way. With SpaceX, uh, Elon Musk's company, launching hundreds of satellites a year since they started in 2019. So the sky is basically full of these little communication satellites that have been launched. Now, astronomers are annoyed about the um, about people telling them about this because they already know they are up there. They're getting in the way already. Uh, mm. They're starting to interfere with observations of things that, these, that astronomers are trying to observe, which are further away, um, you know, stars and planets and other things that astronomers tend to look at. Um, now, amateur night sky photographers are also getting annoyed about it. Uh, many of them rely on long exposures. So they set up their camera, put a long exposure on it so they get a nice picture of the night sky or they get a picture of a comet or whatever it is they're trying to take photos of. These fast-moving satellites leave streaks across their carefully framed photos and it's really starting to... Um, frustrate them quite a lot. Now, the project itself might seem like a good idea, but the problems it's causing is likely or are likely to get worse. Um, There's a company called OneWeb who've just started putting up their own fleet of communication satellites and um, well-known giant mecha robot pilot and Amazon owner Jeff Bezos is planning his own mega constellation of satellites to support his um, 
exploding global communications uh, corporation. Do you think he's just doing it because Elon Musk is doing it? Like, is it just some, you know, big billionaire supervillain race? <laughs> Arms race? Look, it, you know, it, it does It does seem to be, you know, the the old superpowers are no longer the, 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 the space race uh, pioneers. It's now um, billionaires out competing each other to see who can... You know, create the most uh, the most newsworthy uh, project um, of the day. I'm really worried. This means we're going to have Clive Palmer sending up a fleet of helium <laughs> balloons. <laughs> Any day now, he'll announce his, Any day now. his own yeah. launch. Um, they, they could they can only get so high with just the hot air from Clive Palmer, I suppose. <laughs> um, now, the the rush to use space for earthly gain is a consequence of the privatisation of space travel in recent years. Government involvement in lots of cases being reduced. In the case of the US, they pretty much rent space on private launch vehicles to achieve their mission, uh, you know, mission goals in space. Um, and a lot of their launches are on the back of commercial uh, spacecraft. Now, the drive to commercial gain is also a driver of innovation. So multiple companies are looking to capitalize on this neo space race in various ways. But there's some obvious problems um, which are becoming apparent. Um, It's already a problem. The more objects get launched into orbit, the more likely they are to lose tiny pieces or even fail completely. There's got to be a failure rate of, you know, satellites that stop working stop functioning, stop responding. So once they start failing or losing parts of these objects, they end up increasing the amount of space junk that is in orbit around the planet. A lot of a lot of articles I've seen are talking about space junk floating around the planet. It's not floating around, it is orbiting the planet, mm. is moving very quickly, which is what is the problem. If it was just floating and staying relatively static, it wouldn't be such an issue. But most of the things in orbit are moving very fast. They're not all moving in the same direction, which means you have very fast objects colliding all the time. And some of them are very small. Some of them are not so small. Um, So the amount of space junk is an idea that was first popularized in the 70s by a scientist from NASA called Donald Kessler, who predicted that even if launches from Earth stopped in the 70s, the debris field would continue to increase as objects kept crashing into each Mm. other and breaking into smaller and smaller pieces, which is already happening. Um, This is called the Kessler syndrome. Um, And basically, if it gets bad enough, it will mean that the use of those low orbit uh, areas, the zones where satellites and things like that are in orbit, will not be usable anymore because there'll be too much stuff which will damage all the satellites and they won't, they'll, they'll stop working. Um, as I said, they're, they're traveling at very high speeds. So even tiny pieces of junk can tear holes in operational spacecraft, can destroy equipment on board, or even in the case of the ISS, for example, threaten the lives of the people on board those craft. This is basically the plot of the movie Gravity from a few years ago. Yeah, Pink, that's it? right. Yeah, effectively what happens, the, the shuttle mission gets... Uh, or collides with uh, a larger larger object, obviously, um, and it kind of destroys their spacecraft, and they're stuck in space and have to get back. It's a very exciting movie if you if you want to watch it, and 
has some errors in it. I think we've mentioned on the show, but it's 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 a good film. Um, so the rapidly lowering cost of launches into space due to the private sector is likely to make the problem worse. People are going to launch more and more stuff all the time, and nobody's really got a solution to this space debris problem. It's not easy to track these tiny objects, which are basically speeding bullets in space. Mm. Um, the The European Space Agency last year proposed a space claw, which, you know, it's a cool <laughs> name, a space claw, to catch larger objects and retrieve them to stop them deteriorating and falling and making smaller and smaller objects. But that's not really going to help with the bits that are already small. So... Um, the the smaller objects are likely to cause the bigger problems. And people have proposed space nets and other debris traps uh, over the years. No system is likely to be able to be suitable for catching all of the possible types of debris. And some of the, some of the uh, equipment that they might use uh, might fail themselves and make the problem worse. Yeah. Um, I like the, um, I like the idea of the laser broom. Um, have you heard of that one? I have. I have read about the laser broom, but I, the idea of <laughs> shooting things with shooting tiny objects with lasers powerful enough to destroy those objects doesn't sound. No, you're not safe. destroying them. You're you're like you're just slowing them down enough so they'll fall out of orbit. Oh, that, like, yeah, yeah, and and that that's one of the that's one of the other proposals as well. There's a whole lot of different ideas about how to do it, but there's also no agreement on who would pay for this or. Or, you know, whether they'd even work effectively and, and what scale they would work at and all those sorts of things. Um, one of the other things that people or some people are concerned about, security experts are worried that the ability to selectively grab pieces of junk from space could be used to sabotage working equipment that's in orbit. So there's no regulatory body saying, you know, who's in control of these space junk removal uh, services, so they could potentially go and steal people's satellites or disable them or do whatever they want, really, because there's no one there to stop them. Once again, the plot of another movie, I think that one was Moonraker. The <laughs> yes, James the, the, Bond, Roger the, Moore, James Bond. The best James Bond movie. Uh, possibly not. Um, so, currently, there are over 128 million pieces of debris that are large enough to detect in orbit. And that means there's probably a lot more that are not big enough to detect, which can also cause damage. Uh, that will increase, as Kessel suggested, even if launches of new objects from Earth stop completely, which is very unlikely considering how many people are trying to launch things into space. Um, but really, this this growing problem, until we've got a viable solution uh, for the space debris problem the commercialization of space might be a victim of its own success. And that's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wundry people of the Kulin Nation and airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We would love you to get in touch with us if you are able. Uh, you can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. We are Lost in Science on 3CR. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Lost in Science 1. Or you can uh, download our podcast from your favourite podcast app uh, if you do so. So please, if you have the opportunity, give us a good rating and review so other people can find our podcast. Otherwise, you can just listen to us however you're listening to us now. When at the same time every week, Stu, Claire and Chris get 
Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.